Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, the box office continues its comeback in the heights, comes to theaters, and we have a review, and we're going to play Elliot Page Blend. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 168 of Real Blend, a planetary podcast that is opening this year's Cannes Film Festival. Because why not? I mean, if F9 can go and be a Cannes Film Festival entry, the movies. Uh, then we can open this show. Uh, on this week's episode, the box office continues its comebacks. Come back. Come back. One singular comeback. And In the Heights is going to be hitting theaters in as the well Heights. as HBO Max. Is that actually how that song goes? Because you yeah. sing it every time we mention yeah. it. In is the it? Heights. It's um, out of key, too, the way he does it as well. The first eight minutes of that uh, movie dropped online today. Don't watch gonna, it. Don't watch it. I'm going to hold off on watching it yeah. because I understand that it's a big, cool Yeah, it's great. It's opening. great. He compared I, it to, I, John M. Chu compared it to like the, the Lion King's prologue. That they yeah, used I get that. as a trailer. Yeah. yeah. Really? Interesting. Yeah. There's a top La La Land's opening. That's really spectacular. I'm going to say no because it's a I great love opening. La La Land. It's a terrific opening. Yeah. yeah. It's a like, there's nothing wrong with not topping La La Land's opening. Yes. That's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, shut down okay. highways. Like, yes. And had one of the catchiest songs in the past 10 years. Anyway, um,. Hello, introductions. Uh, Kevin's not here. He's on vacation. Oh, he's on assignment interviewing uh, Mr. 305. Yes. So, no, yeah, I have a theory. I have a theory that this whole I don't like that Pitbull song is a bit, and that's why yeah. he's in Miami. He's in Miami right now. Yes. Hopefully, he's Pitbull. wearing a pastel suit and bringing audio. You have to. to uh, if you're not wearing one, when you get to the airport, they give you one. <laughs> they give you one. Yeah. It's, so, it's like when you go to Hawaii and they yes. give you like the. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly like that. <laughs> they, so, pastel, uh, they, drop a, they drape a pastel suit around you. Yes, yes. Gabe uh, Kovach is in the is in the chair. Hello, Gabe. How are you? How's it going, guys? Good. I'm Gabe out. is fighting a cold, as well am I. So uh, I apologize to everybody who is watching us on YouTube uh, because both of us are under the weather. And in addition to us being under the weather, you have to see Jake Hamilton's Metallica T-shirt. <laughs> Hi, Jake. I feel great. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know it's gonna be rough. <laughs> Jacob Fox right too in Chicago, by the way. Uh, housekeeping. If, you meant, if you're watching us on YouTube, hello. Hit subscribe. Turn on notifications. I've told you this week after week. Hopefully you've done it by now. If you are getting us where your audio podcast needs are met, uh, in the description you will see some uh, information about our premium episode, which is uh, a, an additional show that drops on Mondays. Uh, we've had some really fun games lately, including the two-film challenge. Uh, and we often go back and, and re-debate uh, Oscar years to tell you if the uh, if the Oscar ceremony's got it right or not. Go to uh, cinemablend.com backslash realblendpremium if you want to sign up for that and you get some additional time uh, with the hosts. Okay, so weekly poll. Time for the weekly poll. And, uh, and this question is stemming from Quentin Tarantino, friend of the show, uh, has been making the rounds, starting to make the rounds on behalf of uh, a book that he's releasing which is a novelization of his tremendous film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it is uh, an extension of that story. Uh, it fills in some gaps and cracks that 
that might not have even existed in the story, but it tells you some some interesting stuff in the background. And of course, you know, I'm sure that we will highly recommend this book when it comes around. Uh, we can't wait to get our hands on it. But the question that I put out there is, because Quentin almost suggested this, what should Quentin Tarantino do regarding the um, corner that he is somewhat painted himself into by saying he's going to be doing a 10th and final film? Um, because, and he was elaborating on this on, a, on another film podcast, saying that the last films of some signature directors who he has really come to admire tend to not be good. So he is at least debated in his mind because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was as good as it was and received as well as it was, should he end on that film and not stick to the the 10 film rule that he's given himself? Gabe, you have something you want to throw in here? I was going to ask if you had made this because you made this poll after you read that that recent quote, but you, yes. you just fill us in on that. Yeah. That is exactly where I came from because I found it interesting that he's at least... Whether he's seriously considering that or not. Question, Sean. Yes. Does Kill Bill then become two movies? Well, that's the solution for him. <laughs> he could just say that's officially two movies and I'm going to. <laughs> he, did say, God. he did say on our podcast that it's whatever he wants it to be, I believe is, is how he put it. Yes. So, uh, Jake, the question went out to our listeners. Yeah. Uh, what should Quentin Tarantino do? Uh, only two options. Make one last film. Or end his career on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. First off, tell me what you think the listeners said. I think they said make one last film. 89% said make one last yeah. film. Yeah. And what do you say? I say make one last film. If anything, because, yeah. like, yes, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would be a great swan song for his career, but, like, then we missed the moment. Like, I, yeah. I, like, we missed the chance to oh, celebrate him and we were, you know, we missed the chance to like make it a big, a big thing. Um, would you rather would miss feel... the moment or the moment to be deflated by a really bad movie? Yeah. That's a guy who's never I made a bad think, movie. I don't think he, I don't think so either. I don't think he's yeah, capable I, of making a bad movie. At least not within 10. At this I, I just, I just refuse to believe that he's going to go nine for nine and then all of a sudden just whiff on well and he's not one. under any obligation to like make a 10th movie next year like yeah exactly he can wait until he hits that story no, that he's I, like though, yeah. i was gonna ask you guys like what is the the time frame like i mean if you think about it there was a couple death, of years between just until he dies yeah Some but like between now <laughs> until the day he dies you know, he like, can make a there was a couple of years between what bastards and django and a couple right. years between django and hateful eight and then a couple of years between hateful sure. eight and uh and, and hollywood we're getting to we're two years out of Hollywood. Like we're getting to that point where like it we should at least be hearing what the But movie he just might had be. his first kid. You know, he's working on the book that is coming look, out. Look, like Sean wrote a book and hosts a podcast and he's got like however many true. kids running around. It's true. That's true. I've gotten very good at ignoring And them. what number movie are you on? What number movie are you on? <laughs> <laughs> no, but part of him not wanting to direct is he doesn't want to schlep his family around to sure. whatever location. So yeah, you would sure. think he would get it done. He would get it out the way. And then his filmmaking career wouldn't interfere with the family. Or he career. tells another L.A. story and he just shoots it out of his house. You know? Shoots out of his house. Or he's staying um, at his, in house, his driveway. In his house. I'm taking the opposite approach to this. And while... The first thing that you ever said that made me convinced that maybe my thought is wrong on it is um, that we would have lost the moment. And you're right. Um, but maybe, first off, my, my point being that I don't think he's going to be able to top Hollywood. Hollywood is, it's such the definitive Tarantino but movie. But didn't people say that about Pulp Fiction? 
he had how many chances did he have after that though? Like okay, I honestly but it's think not, it's not like, and like no one, But did any movie ever come out and people were like, yeah, but there's no Pulp Fiction. Like he kept making classics. And they said it about Jackie Brown. I say Jackie Brown because, uh, because <laughs> that had the the unfortunate uh, task of following Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yes, it did. Still a great and, movie. And though. whatever this next movie is has the potential of being Jackie Brown esque, which is good. But how many times are okay, we going to be like? But I think the problem mm. is you're. I think we're talking about two different things. Like okay. Pulp Fiction revolutionized cinema. Yeah. How we looked at how how movies could be distributed. How we looked at how movies could be edited. And not to take Funded. away from Hollywood, because there's no one in this in, in these three little squares that has anything negative to say about Hollywood. But it wasn't spoken about the same way that that Pulp Fiction was spoken about when no, it came out in '94. True. So I don't think it has as much to live up to. Well, who could ever do that twice in their career? Sure, so, right. Within the span of twenty something years, like sure. that's that's kind I of know. an impossible task. If that's what we're asking for. So, and that's why I almost think like having the benefit of of having it all laid out in front of you and him being able to make the decision of no, I'm going to actually make that my last movie might be the more um, rational approach to this debate. You know, of just and yes, it robs us of another Tarantino movie. Yeah, but it also allows him to control the fact that he's ending on a masterpiece, and there's nothing ah. wrong with that. Well, here I've said this before, and he's said this before that he's really interested in making plays. He's really interested in writing more books. Yeah, it's not like we're not going to get Quentin Tarantino stories. So I'm in for whatever he wants to do next. Like, what if he doesn't make a movie for five, six years and he right. writes a couple books, he does a play. And then, you know, eight years from now, the, the 10th film from Quentin Tarantino drops and it blows us away because he's had, we're so removed from his filmography up to this point. Yep. He's had time to gestate a story, maybe, maybe experiment with it in these different mediums. Like who knows? But he's right. in the fact that a lot of classic filmmakers, you know, sure. yeah, but the, but the ones Peter he named out. made like 80 films. Like there's a difference. Yeah. They were like right. guns for hire until they were like yeah. in their seventies, yeah, yeah, and yeah. eighties. Okay, because because I figure I'd argue these days we're getting filmmakers that are still making movies into their seventies and eighties that are still firing at all cylinders. Like, is it, no one's knocking Scorsese? Yeah, yeah, you know who's who's still who turned in Wolf of Wall Street into his seventies. You know, no one's well, knocking Spielberg. Yeah, but on the other side, I look at Woody Allen, who has probably turned out, you know, the last three movies of his that I don't even know what they yeah, are. Yeah, but in the grand scheme of things, that's the that's, that's at the bottom of the totem pole and things we need to worry about with Woody Allen. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's true. But okay, but you do still... you did bring up a great question, uh, Sean, which is, does is Tarantino confident enough in this decision of 10 movies and then I'm done to, and I would love to ask him this question, I'd love for you to ask him this question, um, mm-hmm. to, to end the trailer... To put the final film uh, by Quentin Tarantino, the final film. I because because they, he does it for all the other trailers. He does what? The, the, he like says the ninth the, film by Quentin Tarantino, but he, he doesn't put film, the, he doesn't put the second to last. <laughs> <laughs> but because it's never ballsy, but, but, but would he do? Would he do the tenth, or would he actually? If the he's Reservoir Dog him, hits and it says the first of ten. <laughs> <laughs> I listen. That is an excellent question, and uh, you know. One day down the line, if we meet up with Quentin again, I'll I'll tab that one and uh yeah and rem- and remember to bring it up. Okay, no interview this week. Um, we have a couple of interviews that we have stockpiled and we have to hold on to until we get a little bit closer to um embargoes, embargoes, certain films. And we uh we went hard after John Chu, but John Chu is uh is very very busy promoting big in the heights and has been doing a ton of press in the heights. And so uh, we'll review in the heights later on in the show, and Jake will tell you whether it is worth 
big screen or your HBO money Max, uh, or your money and your time. So let's get to talking points and your time. Uh, uh, Quiet Place 2 held on to the box office for one week before it was dethroned by another uh, horror sequel, The Conjuring 3. And it opened to a $25 million opening, which is interesting to me because unlike Quiet Place, uh, it was available for you to just click if you had HBO Max. Um, so, Jake, you wanted to bring this up because I guess you find it fairly fascinating that a good amount of people decided they were instead going to go see Conjuring 3 in a theater. Yeah, I think it's very similar, very parallel to um, Godzilla vs. Kong, which had a very similar situation in that it was uh, available both on HBO Max and in theaters. And people chose not just... Uh, a movie, but they chose the theatrical experience, much like, uh, you know, the idea of why I want to see Godzilla and Kong fight on the fight on the big screen. People also made the choice of I'm going to see a scary movie. I want to experience it in a theater. And I think that's where a lot of that twenty five million dollars came from. Um, it's easy to to say, OK, well, Conjuring opened to 40 and Conjuring 2 opened to 41. It's like, OK, well, sure. But like also keep in mind, like another big horror sequel just opened last week. This one doesn't didn't have the reviews that the other one had, and it was available. Like that is a lost number that we'll never get. We'll never know how many people would have gone to see it in theaters had it not been available on HBO Max. Probably still wouldn't have hit that forty million dollar mark, but you know, I, I think a twenty five million dollar opening for a movie available on HBO Max that didn't get great reviews uh, is is really solid, and it's especially considering that another horror sequel just opened the week before. Um, well, and I think the Warner Brothers thing is paying off in, in dividends. With Quiet Place doing $20 million, you could almost assume that even if half of that went to yeah. Conjuring, you know, because it didn't exist, um, then it's looking at a $35 million opening, which would be really strong for yeah, a movie exactly. that's not available in that. You're right exactly. about the reviews. Um, Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It has a 58% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's not like the reviews said to the audience, you have to go see this yeah, movie. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So even though Conjuring's a popular franchise, people still went out of their way. And I think the people who are into the conjuring franchise are the kind of people who are savvy enough to know that like james wan didn't return for this mm -hmm. one mm -hmm. so um that wasn't a lure you know yeah. wan's name on on horror is enough to bring audience members sure. out sure. to it um and so and this also more so than quiet place where you know that the immersion is part of the experience mm -hmm. conjuring three felt to me like a movie where like a bunch of couples you know older couples would have been like and eh, it's friday night let's just put it on hbo max you yeah. know like i'm not gonna we're not gonna schlep all the way out to the theater so i yeah. think that 24 million is a really strong Agreed. opening and bodes very well for something like in the heights which is coming which has a ton of buzz yeah. around it and then of course you know fanine beyond I mean, this so. fanine this year kind of belongs to i mean no this time six months ago we were all questioning that hbo max warner brothers decision and I think you could argue it ended up being a really strong decision for them. It doesn't look like they lost out on a lot of theatrical business. If anything, it's may I think uh, they they're, they've now got five number one movies at the box office so far this year. And the Heights is probably likely about to be number six. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, and ever I feel like a majority of their movies that are opening are doing really solid, decent numbers in addition to bringing in. But is that uh, going to be know, the case in the fall, in the winter? I think like, by they then, don't have real competition right now. Sure, but they but they also have significantly bigger movies in the fall. They've got Dune and Matrix Four, movies that that I think will sell themselves. Matrix Four could make a killing. Yeah, like yeah, but more how many... so than Dune. And that's another movie that I think I people know. are going to choose the theatrical experience. I, yeah, I hope. I, so. I hope so. But but like we were mentioning with you know potentially a Quiet Place Two dipping into Conjuring's um, 
box office this week. Like when you have some of these weeks that we're looking at that have like three major releases yeah. and some of those releases are a James Bond movie. Yeah. Like, but I don't I also know. Think, like, I, I don't know how like, much that's going to hold up if, if they sure. put out a giant tentpole and it makes $15 million or $20 million in its opening weekend when it should be making at that point 40 or 50, you know, or but, but quiet place range. and conjuring have the exact same audience. Like Dune, there's a good, like is, is, has, is probably gonna have a specific audience. And at this point, I don't know what's opening up against Dune, but I'm scared it's, for Dune, you know, by the way. This beside that point, but I'm scared for Dune. Honestly, it doesn't well, matter when Dune opens and what the circumstances are. I'm always going to be scared for Dune. I had this thought no, the I'm other day. No, I'm not scared for Dune. I'm scared for Dune 2. I had this thought the other day, Dune. and I, don't, I think it's just out of, again, fear and, and wanting to get a second one. I already just trusting that I'm going to enjoy it. Um, I wonder if it releasing simultaneously on HBO Max is going to be like a saving grace for us getting the second one. Like, clearly, sure. they'll have the numbers of like how many people watched it on HBO Max. Sure. But without the front facing numbers. Is it going to be a lot easier to be like, oh, yeah, it only made $100 million at the box office. We needed it to make like half a billion or, or whatever number yeah, they yeah, came yeah. up with. But they can say, oh, well, no, yeah, it was an HBO Max play. Let's make the second just, one. Just pull the like the two-minute Netflix model. Like, like <laughs> yeah. 84 billion people watched yeah. at least two minutes of it. Like, do the whole, like, did you think about it? Then you yeah. would, like, yeah. ca- 84,000. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, oh, yeah, exactly. But just, he shot stuff for two already, hasn't he? Didn't he no, film they, it while no, he was they completely... The this was completely a part They're one. They're doing the it thing production. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. And they haven't greenlit too, last that I heard. Now, okay, the, the the difference between it and Dune though is it had it chapter 1 been a failure, it would have worked on its own. It yes. or not it. Dune part 1, if you want to call it that, can't work on its well, own. Well, no, you say it worked on its own, but not if you know the adaptation, not if you know the book. Sure, like, and yeah. also, like, the end of the movie implies, like, okay, if he comes back, we have to come back. But for the average person who hasn't no, read that massive behemoth... It'll work on its own. It'll work on yeah. its own as a... It'll definitely feel like it deserves a sequel. Like, it, like it'll work on talking, its own. Wait, what are we talking? Are we talking Dune? Dune. You think Dune Part 1 will work on its own? Yeah, there's a great... There's an amazing story that they're going to tell about this family traveling across the galaxy. Well, you and I need to talk about where, where we think it's going to split. Did you read it? Did you finally read it? I finally uh, finished it. I never read it. Yeah, there's a whole build. There's a whole like I can see where it's going to go and where where it would end because it's it's a giant story and they can definitely give you a complete. I mean, we just had a Quiet Place Part Two was ninety minutes and it ended on the very end of like the conflict. Like it didn't even have that much going on. Like they can make something really satisfying that definitely people I think are going to be like, oh, there's going to be more to this because sure. clearly this story isn't finished yeah. but it'll have a satisfying beginning middle and end of this family moving to this one doing the thing where it has to introduce you to this giant universe and this new concept of of whatever this fantasy sci-fi world is um you you and uh sean will actually appreciate this because you you've been in this situation but i had a friend and I, and I got the joke whenever he initially did it but now i get it on a deeper level so you guys know my place faces east and i have no blinds in my living room and i've got these giant ass windows yeah. and the downside being that when the sun rises you rise because it gets very hot and again sure. like you know and every time i have a buddy named tyler who stays at my place and he sleeps on the couch and whenever the sun rises he always goes ah arrakis just and now and i feel like you guys can understand that because you one you, you understand the book and you've been on my couch before yes, yes. without funny. blankets some of us come on that's harsh um, what's the good opening number for in the heights 30 we, we also have to remember that it's a musical yeah and for and and we and, and we also have to forget that like do you think Outside it's big in our Twitter. world? 
You think it's yeah, big like, in our world right now? Yeah, I, yeah. I think like within film Twitter, everyone's very excited about it. And everyone's buzzing, but we have to remember that like there tends to be a ceiling when it comes to musicals, and okay. and and I think the saving grace for this movie is going to be the strong word of mouth because I think mm. people are going to like it. Um, but okay. I don't necessarily think like I think we have to check our expectations for that opening weekend number. Gabe, where are you? That probably sounds about right. I would need, admittedly, I'd want to look and see what. Uh, I tried to look to see what A Quiet Place or, or Conjuring opened up to, how many theaters are actually yeah. open, um, but I couldn't find that number. I'm just curious where, how close to quote-unquote normal we are as far as physical theaters being open. Um, and then I saw in my market there were some theaters that were still doing um, distanced viewings, mm-hmm. and then there was some that I saw where you could just pick any seat and they were they would look like they were all good to go. So, Interesting. So, like, I have no idea what situation we're in, um, which would influence that a lot, yeah. but... I got not told something today... Right. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, was, I got told something that I have not been told in a very long time today. Um, you know, you guys, I'm, well, we're all seeing Fast 9. I'm seeing Fa- or Fast 9 on Wednesday, and I asked if I could bring a guest, and I was told, bring however many people you want. Which, I was told uh, that for my Fast oh, 9 wow. screening also, yeah. but then for Cruella, I was told, you can't even bring your kid, like... So maybe Disney's being really strict and Universal yeah, I think it just care. It sounds like it's just a difference, yeah. I guess. Well, that's because, you know, Vin Diesel wants you to go to well, the it's movies. Fa- it's family, too. It's, it's all family. About family. family. Yes, it's all about family. I don't know if I told you guys, but I'm actually buying a yacht, and I'm going to sail <laughs> over to Cannes and watch it there for the first time. <laughs> so, Dude, yeah. Wouldn't it be amazing if, like, we're looking at Cannes coverage and in the background, there's, like, all, all the shots of, like, the, the Fast 9 cast, and you just see Gabe in the background, like, yeah. wait, and he's just we got know. a Speedo on. Wait, we have to... to From the film festival in. that brought you Drive... <laughs> Fast nine. We have to fill people <laughs> in on the fact that uh, the Rublin text chain has been buzzing for weeks um, <laughs> with the fact that Kevin adores the Fast and Furious franchise yeah. and gave like unironically, right? And that's okay. legitimately one of his favorite film franchises, and he's gone so far as to say, and listen, we adore him for this. Uh, he loves the characters, and he thinks that Dom- Dominic Toretto is a yeah. is a great. Great, the only difference like an between film character. The only difference between Kevin and me is he says he loves the characters, and I say <laughs> I love the characters. I use air quotes around <laughs> Gabe, characters. Gabe hates Gabe hates the movie, and Gabe will playfully jab Kevin by saying, "I can't wait to go see this really bad movie on the big screen because he knows this." I can't setting though. his expectations. I'm excited. For. Yeah, it's so, gonna feel um, like it's the summer, and it's I'm I'm at the movies. We'll see how that all plays out. Okay. Um, This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. We're getting into this week in movies, 
conversation. And I want to tell everybody that um, we're going to talk about Loki episodes one and two. Uh, all three of us have been able to see it. Disney gave us advanced screeners of it. And so we're not going to obviously give away spoilers for it. Um, but if you want to go into the episode as clean as possible, uh, you might want to skip forward to the next section of the podcast. And uh, Gabe will have it annotated in a way, I think, right? You'll be able to yeah, do that. Yeah, so I'll, 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 um, so uh, I'll start and I'll basically just say that um, this, this the first two episodes of this show are a lot like I, it was a lot to take in, um, and to the point where I'm really looking forward. to I've watched the two episodes once. PJ wants to watch them. We're going to watch them tonight, and I'm really looking forward to going back through it because it's a ton of information to yeah. to take in. And I saw someone's tweet that said, "Well, I guess Marvel's just given up on casual fan," you know. And I didn't get what they meant by that, but but literally, if you're not into everything that's going on in the MCU. This show, more so than WandaVision, more so than Falcon and the Winter Soldier, is not holding your hand and just it's going full bore into uh, even to where it picks up. You know, like that was a moment in Endgame that casual fan might not even realized what had happened. And it's when Loki takes the Tesseract uh, after the Avengers have time traveled and he disappears. And this show begins by telling you where he goes and it introduces uh, the TVA, which is the Time Variance Association. Is that correct? Authority? TV? Authority? Time Variance? That, that authority might, sounds right. Authority sounds more correct. And they're in charge of policing the what's determined to be the, the infinite timeline or the, the, the holy timeline that these three guardians uh, have... Giant lizards? Shepherd. Call, he over? calls them giant lizards yeah. all the time. But I didn't know if he was like doing it as a joke or if they are actually giant lizards. I saw one at least looked like he had l- lizard features. Like in the statue? At least one of them. But he definitely was like doing a Loki jab, like these three lizard guys, you yeah. know, things like that. So Loki gets put. So it's it's essentially that time, that, that scene in Endgame where uh, the Ancient One is explaining to Bruce Banner what might happen if you divert from the timeline. But it's that on steroids, because essentially anyone who uh, causes a a divergence from the uh, timeline is is called a what are they called? A variant. A, a, variant, a variant. Right. Yeah. And Loki has now become a variant because of him taking the Tesseract and disappearing. And so you get plunged into this world with Owen Wilson as your uh, host, essentially taking you through it via Loki of saying these are the people who are in charge of the timeline. And anytime it gets disrupted, they have to intervene. And they it's a whole world of, you know, of potential that could have impact on the Marvel Cinematic Universe because it has Is these agents. M word that they keep using. Do they use multiverse? Well, Many they, times. they specifically, they? I don't know how far we want to get into this, but they specifically mention like, hey, if this messes up and, and all of this happens, then we create a multiverse and we can't okay. allow that to happen, implying that they're... Is not That's a multiverse at the moment. Yeah. By the end of the show, who knows? We've only there could be episodes. one of madness coming. It could exactly. very well be one of madness. Um, but I loved it. I really did enjoy it, and it's it's hard to pass judgment on it in a way that it was a little bit hard to pass judgment on Wandavision after a first couple of episodes because think how different that show was by the time it ended. Yeah. You know, versus the sitcom spoof. That it ended up being, and then it went in a million different directions. This so. one feels like, and I don't know, maybe maybe there are expectations there that I have that I'm not even thinking of, but but a through line that we had between the two previous shows was the first few episodes set up a lot of storylines, set up a lot of characters, set up a lot of different things that are really exciting. We get excited about them, and then the show is like, we're only going to tie up a few of those, and it kind of falls flat because we're used to getting the full resolution. 
this feels like it's really exciting. It's got some big ideas, but it doesn't feel like it's doing anything that it couldn't wrap up in six episodes. Like mm-hmm. it, to me, I don't. It doesn't feel like there's too much there that uh, is going to get left on the table. Like it, it feels like it's kind of more uh, reserved in the way that it's setting up the sort of story itself within the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really enjoyed the first two episodes. I loved Owen Wilson mm-hmm. um, getting to be Owen Wilson. Like they, they, like they hired Owen oh, Wilson. Wow. To be a, I, we didn't get one of those yet. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder if yet. we will, because his, his, like one of his first scenes, um, we got the Owen Wilson whisper acting where he's like yeah. t- leaning into somebody and he's like, yeah, this yeah, energy yeah. we have right now. It's just, <laughs> he has one of those. And I was like, Oh, okay, great. Like we're, so I hope by the end of this, we get a wow. Um, but he fits. He doesn't feel out of place. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't. They, feel they have great chemistry together. They have great chemistry. He doesn't feel distracting at all. I love the the TVA. The the sort of vibe that they give the TVA mm-hmm. is the DMV. Yeah, um, it feels yes. like a very yeah. That's boring, a great boring, draining yeah. sort of government facility. Uh, a lot of and, paperwork. And a lot of paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so yeah, it has some of the. It's a good mix of like the Asgardian with with uh, with Loki. Like we feel that world a little bit with this with the stuff that we see. It has the James Gunn sort of um, color palette here and there of the sort of intergalactic world. So it, it has a... Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say, one of the things I thought was most interesting, though, is, you know, the character of Loki has changed a lot, say, over the last 10 years, in particular from, from the first Thor. And, you know, but from the first Thor to the first Avengers, he didn't really change. He was still like that that very menacing, untrustworthy guy. And then we sort of got to know him and realize that there were multiple layers to him. But this is not the Loki who we got to know and were deeply saddened who was who died in Infinity War. This is Loki from 2012. Like this yeah, is the, yeah. the Avengers Loki. And I had and, to keep reminding myself that. Yeah. Yeah. Like he he knows nothing of the Dark World or Ragnarok or or Thanos or you know. And I feel I find one, uh Hiddleston does a really great job of like playing him as he played him back in 2012. Uh, but it's also really, and there are, without getting into spoilers, some really interesting developments that arise from the fact that he does not know the things that we know that were to come of him. Right. And I think that's also going to have a massive ripple effect. And I, I ask you guys, do you think the resolution of this show, with it being all about time, is that he is placed back into the MCU, that Loki is placed back into the MCU? Granted, he's the Loki who we... From, from the Avengers timeline, but does the Thor of today end up coming across the Loki from Avengers? Is that is that where yeah. the end game, no pun intended, is that the end game of this show, to put him back into the MCU? I don't think that would be off the off the board, necessarily. Um, for, for reasons that aren't story-driven, although we'll see if story-driven is the way to go. I think Hiddleston really likes playing the character. Yeah, I mean, that's that seems to be the point, though, right? Like, there's no point in bringing him back unless Hiddleston has intention to play him for several more movies. Like don't bring him back and then kill him off in the next movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he's the type of character that you can insert into mm-hmm. other places. He doesn't yeah. have to be, um, you know, the, a focal point, the way Tony Stark or Steve Rogers would be, you know, sure. that he could be, he can get introduced in other places. So yeah, I think that that's definitely a possibility. One of the things I found exhausting about this show, if I have to give any kind of negative to it, is that it's it's a little bit and tell me if you guys had this issue with it because Loki as a as a character is always talking in double speak and you don't know what he's if he's what he's saying is true or a lie or if he's deceiving you or not 
But then everyone in the TVA almost feels like they have their own agendas as well, mm-hmm. too. So I don't know if they're telling the truth or not. That for multiple scenes, I was like, what am I supposed to believe? Yeah. You know, like, what is real here kind of thing? Yeah. And they eventually settle it, usually. But did you guys run into that at all with this? Not really, just because I sort of kind of went with the, like, eventually it'll be explained eventually. Like, I kind of like not, yeah. you, know, you know, also and that, that kind of ties back to the whole, like, I love the water cooler release of episodes now that an episode will come out and then we will discuss what do we believe what do we not believe i do have a question for you guys in terms of like casual marvel fans versus serious serious marvel fans without saying what it is did you know what the end of episode two meant uh i yes you did i did yeah okay i did did not okay um I I, i looked it up and now now i'm intrigued but um oh i didn't look it up yeah. Well, that led to there were there were other questions in which we can't discuss right now, um, yeah. but we should probably take it offline as well, too. But I had a lot of questions about like. The reveal at the end of episode one created a lot of questions that then episode two just created more questions about. Right. It. Um, and, because, and, and, and so, and, and, yeah, 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 we have to we have to stop there but <laughs> to, to, to round this <laughs> off. I think we all I forget if we got to hear from Kevin, if he saw it or what he thought. I, I think, think we I all think Kevin. Were, yeah, Kevin said it was his favorite first episode so of a Marvel show. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I think it's great. I think yeah, so great far, cold it's really opens. great. Great cold, really opens. great cold opens. Great vibe, like great tone. Yeah. The show has a great yeah. tone. Very, very like Terry Gilliam in a way. Yeah, I, I'm gonna ask this again. Like, is Marvel gonna whiff, or is Marvel just so in control of what they do that they're not capable of a just a jeez? What you guys do do here? Oh, I thought thing. you saw the ending of Wandavision. I love the ending the of ending WandaVision. WandaVision, and WandaVision is top five MCU for me. It doesn't so you're ca- talking to yeah, the wrong you can't guy. categorize that as a whiff, though. Uh, top not five, a, not the least bit. It's amazing. I think you don't necessarily have to think it's amazing, but it's not a whiff. <laughs> no, it's not it's a whiff. perfectly good resolution of that story, and it yeah, sets us up for, for what's to come. Look, yes. look, one of us has a hard out, so let's not let's not do this. Fair good enough. idea. All right, uh, Peter Rabbit two: The Runaway <laughs> is also opening from Sony. Obviously, Jake has not seen it. <laughs> what a transition! Reaction. It's called uh, The Runaway. <laughs> and uh, it's only available in theaters. So if you want to go see it with your family, uh, head to the theaters to go see Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway. Uh, which takes us to the other film that's going to be available, not just in theaters, but uh, on HBO Max. And it's called In the Heights. And in the Heights. it goes that way. So, Jake, um, you're the only one on this podcast who has seen it. How's that possible? Yeah, I'm just I I am. They've screened furious. it like a thousand times. Not here, not here. That's How many times enough. have you seen it? Like five. Who oh, yeah? So tell yeah. us about it. How, How is it? No, worth seeing. Um, it's absolutely worth seeing. If you are at all familiar and a fan of uh, Lin Manuel Miranda's style of musical, in particular, obviously, sort of that rapid fire uh, dialogue uh, made popular by Hamilton. This is you could you watch in the Heights and you go ah oh, like that's. That's kind of where he was warming up. That's where it's at. It's really, it's a vibrant, exciting, um, energetic movie. Um, John directs the hell out of it, man. Like, just the thought of what he had to do to pull off some of these sequences exhausts me. Like, like the opening eight minutes, which they put online, and I, I, I beg of you, uh, don't watch it in advance. Like, experience it in, like, the first time in a theater on the big screen. Okay. If you feel safe to do so. Um, and because I got to tell you, that first opening eight minutes 
tears came to my eyes, man. I was just, I was so into it. And, really? and then when, okay. and then, so it's the, I don't think, you know, I, I think I can say this because they, t- they talked about it, uh, it being compared to the Lion King. Like it's eight minutes and then cuts to the title card. And okay. when it cuts to that title card, I just went like, oh, <laughs> like just, just was just exhausted. Like I felt like I was just on the Peloton. Um, but it's just, it's a really beautiful movie. Um, it's a really, you know, it, it, it brings forth a, a, like a neighborhood or a culture that every major city has. Like I've been doing out live shots here, um, in Humboldt park, which is sort of like Chicago's equivalent of Washington Heights. Um, it's, it's really great. Now I, if I had to knock it for, for one thing, it's probably three or four songs too long. It okay. kind of does the return of the King thing in the, in the last act where I kind of thought every song was the last song. Oh, and then like it kept going. I was like, oh, like you're, there's more. You have, you have more to sing. Um, now that I sort of know, I, if I were to rewatch it, maybe I wouldn't have that feeling because I know what's to come. Because um, I'd never seen it on stage before. I didn't really know. I'm experiencing, that's probably some, some context, as you say. I've never, I, I was unfamiliar with In the Heights. Um, so I, yeah, I absolutely loved it. If you get the chance, it is very, every much, every bit as much a, a big screen movie as there is out there right now. This is ignorant because um, I have not seen it on stage sure. either. Is there a story per se, or is it just like a day in the life of this neighborhood? It's yeah, it's it's yeah, there are threads of okay. like different characters had different things going on, but there's not a like through line like we need to we need to complete A to get to B and have C happen. It's not okay. quite like that. It's more of like submergence into a culture. Okay. Then I'll be interested to see how that holds my interest because yeah. I tend not to l- not to like day in the life of location sure. movies in particular, but I guess musicals can play out differently as long as the, the music and the choreography is entertaining. Yeah. And from everything I've seen from a visual standpoint uh, for in the Heights, that is absolutely the case. Uh, and, and you, so you're saying even like, cause I've heard some people say like, it's going to be really difficult to know that this is a click away on HBO max. Uh, and they have to wait to go see it in a theater like by a couple of days. But you say, hold off. Don't yeah, watch it at I, home. I, you know, unless you absolutely positively have to watch it at home, if you have the option, if you have the ability, if you have the health to be able to go to a to a theater, see it in a theater. It is absolutely okay. a theater movie. And again, I know, I mean, we're, people are kind of experiencing this right now. The first eight minutes are out there. If you haven't already, do yourself a favor. Don't watch it. Okay. Yeah, as someone who was late to Hamilton, you know, and then finally watched it on Disney Plus when they made it available and uh, realized how wrong I was for waiting that long to catch up with it. Uh, I'm eagerly anticipating it. And Corey Chichizola, who works on our staff, who is uh, our our Broadway fanatic and loves Lin-Manuel, and he claims that In the Heights is better than Hamilton. He likes it more. So, yeah, on that face, you can make that face all you want. uh, Is he the one who did the uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda interview for you guys? Yes, he did. That was a great interview. Thank you. That was a really great tell, interview. I'll tell Corey that you said so. Give, um, give, oh, give, and, shout and, out. It's on YouTube. It's on the Cinema Glenn YouTube channel. So Anthony Ramos is playing Lin-Manuel's uh, Correct, character. Yes. And but he Lin-Manuel does... is in the movie briefly. How's Anthony? Great? Oh, fantastic. Oh, he's unbelievable. Yeah. 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 He's, uh, he's, 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 got, he's got the stuff. As, That's what uh, everybody says. As yeah. they say. As they say. Uh, I'll use this as an opportunity to tell my hilariously embarrassing Anthony Ramos story. Have I ever shared this with you guys? No, I didn't know you had one of these. Was it at the, uh, <laughs> was it, did it happen at the Star is Born thing in Toronto? <coughs> yes, it did. Yes, oh, no. it did. Oh, um, no. Yeah, it's just tremendous. Um, so Wait, you know the story, a... Jake? I don't know the story. Oh, okay, okay. And, but I had, had to be somewhere around there, right? I had to be in the proximity you of where this there, happened. You were there. You were in Toronto. Were... You were going to be going to the BFCA um, mm-hmm. meetup where D, 
I know you weren't able to be there, but dad was working and he was going to be coming home soon. Um, but prior to the BFCA um, happy hour that they had where Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga came and like worked the room, they did an interview uh, on the northern side of the city and very select press, myself included, thank you very much, uh, was able to go and do a press conference with um, Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga, Anthony Ramos. And, and then you so- got TV the next day. Yes. You and I got TV the bitch. next day. Well, Warner Brothers likes me um, a lot. And so at how many times they have you seen in the Heights doing <laughs> none, not done yet. <laughs> they weren't doing one on ones. Uh, they were just going to do a small press conference, an yeah. intimate uh, roundtable. But then uh, like a day or two beforehand, they said, oh, Anthony Ramos is willing to do um, a couple of one on ones. Would you be Ramos? Would Ramos. you be interested in speaking with him? And I said, yeah, of course, you know, that's, that'd be terrific. And I knew he was playing a Lady Gaga's friend in Star is Born. Um, but I'd never seen Hamilton, so I did not know that he was in it. <laughs> and um, we were having a conversation, uh, and he was saying, but I led with just a sort of a, a softball question about, no, I didn't blow it, thankfully. I led with a kind of a softball question just to get the conversation flowing. And he was like, oh, my God, I've been so into, into um, you know, this music coming up and, and, and growing up in this neighborhood. And then, of course, you know, to get something like Hamilton. And in the back of my mind, I said, Oh shit, he's in Hamilton. <laughs> and I was so happy that I wasn't like, you know, that I just like, ignored that kind of thing. And then I was able to be like, yeah, obviously, you know, working with Lynn must have been a. And, and he went off another thing, but I had no idea. None whatsoever. And Weirdly I enough, Sean did myself. the same thing with Lin Manuel Miranda. He, yeah, said, he started talking about Hamilton. And Sean goes, oh shit, he's in Hamilton. I thought you were in Mary Poppins. That's Aww. great. That's So that's nearly a super embarrassing story yes but i saved yeah. myself i really thought like my, my stomach was getting ready oh, I, I <laughs> yeah that was sean's like yeah. cold yeah. opener like as he's sitting down he's like hey this hamilton it's pretty good yeah. huh you have you checked it out <laughs> <laughs> it? no i did the, the the very oh yeah yeah and in the back of my mind it's screaming <laughs> oh my god probably should have looked that up before That's i fantastic. spoke with them all right uh this week's blend game we are playing is there a reason why, why we went into this usually it's a movie that catapults us in one direction or you just uh it's pride month shows it to be it's what it's Pride Month. Oh, Pride Month. Oh, yeah, that's, a, cool. that's an excellent that. reason for choosing I love Elliot Page. It doesn't month. need to be Pride Month, but it is, so why not? It's, it is Pride Month. Good call. D, for God's sakes. Um, is, are they window washing in your apartment? Is that what's going on? No, but it's coming. So prepare yourself for that. It's window washing season. All right, Gabe, since you chose Elliot Page Blend, why don't you kick us off on your favorite performance by the actor? There were a few that I juggled through, and there's some... There are some that I need to catch up on. There are some holes in the filmography that I need to catch up on. Um, I was I super came to mind. I think they're both great in that, but I think I love super because of James Gunn more than anything. Okay. Um, and Inception was I love Inception. We kind of I don't know if it's either of your picks, but we kind of talked about how that performance the performance is fine, but that character is not great. That character is kind of a kind of a uh, how would you describe that character it? is us. Yeah, the character's kind of just like... It's a, a surrogate for it, the audience. Yeah, it's like, guess what? This is confusing. We need someone to explain this to you. Yes. So he asks a lot of questions about like, but what about now? <laughs> exactly. Um, and that landed me on Juno, which I, Juno, I think, is a lot of people's pick. Is that your pick as well? We're we all picking Juno? I mean... <laughs> yeah, it's hard not How to. many times... Like, I was in high school when Juno came out, I think. Um and then talk about like one of those movies that just like hits a generation, you know, right. like just feels totally relatable. Again, those two characters are fantastic. They're both great in it. And for me, 
that is that's the that's the movie I think of when you say Elliot Page. I'm like, oh, okay, Juno. Like that's a mm-hmm. tremendous performance. That's the personality that I think that we that landed a lot of other roles. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of other like there's a through line through their career that kind of fits into the Juno sort of uh, character. So yeah, it ended up being easy. I have not seen a lot of people are picking this. I have not seen Hard Candy. Oh uh, well, so if I didn't pick Juno, Hard Candy would be the one. that Okay, I chose. so th- that's one of the big holes in his filmography that I should catch up on. Uh, that maybe would, would overtake it, but phenomenal. That's what I and hear. But would you pick it as favorite though? Because that's no, it would have to be right, really phenomenal. It would have to be really good to overtake Juno. Yeah, because like I said, Juno has that has that extra layer of like this was a moment well, growing up. He- and and part of the reason why I went with Juno over Hard Candy uh, for favorite is just because it is a crowd pleasing film, you know, from top to bottom, and it gets into difficult conversations, obviously, you know, and it but it does it from a perspective um, that I think Jason Reitman was bringing, and it led to I I thought he had so much potential, Jason Reitman, and did do a great job with Up in the Air. He still turns great movies. He's tailed off a bit, although I, I listen. I'm excited to see what he does with, with you. Like the we were you liked Tully though, which is oh I did yeah, that, yeah I did which is him and, and young Diablo adult Cody again. I guess the only one I really shit on then is the the one with uh, Josh Brolin and Kate Winslet. Oh, and the Adam Sandler one's not great. Oh yeah, Men, Women, What's and Children. Bad? Yeah. Oh okay. Anyway, back to Elliot Page. Um, it's it's a hard role to play. You know, it's a difficult mm-hmm. character to play necessarily. You're the center of attention in a somewhat quirky universe, you know, and that style of humor can go flat if not handled properly. And I think he does an amazing job of sort of carrying it that way. Uh, bounces off of a tremendous supporting cast, whether it's JK Simmons or Jennifer Garner and Jason Bateman. Uh, obviously everything he's got going on with Michael Sarah. Uh, just, it's, it's a great performance in a really great movie working off of an incredible it's Diablo Cody's screenplay isn't that right mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah I, everything clicks about it and I think it mainly sings because he's as good as he is yeah I think you're, you you mentioned Diablo Cody and I think that's why I chose this um, for him because that type of dialogue could ring false with most actors because it is sort of that that very quirky not want to say self-aware but it's a very specific type of dialogue that I think would be very difficult for most actors um, even great actors to to recite and sound authentic like that's mm-hmm. how that person normally speaks. But the way that he delivers that dialogue at no point did I think, oh, he's reading off of the script really well. Like, oh, that's really clever dialogue and, and, and way to go. You way to way to interpret that. I just sort of took it as that's the way he speaks. Like, I I, yeah, yeah. I bought it like it. And, and I think that's a really um, difficult task to do with the way that that all of those characters are written, but but particularly how how the character of Juno was written. Uh, I think that everything every, every word was delivered in such a way that I never it never rang false. It it rang quirky and funny and and unique, but at no point did it ever feel like he was delivering a false note. You know that the comparison <clears throat> isn't that far off from Alicia Silverstone in Clueless. Like, oh yeah, that's a yeah, character yeah, yeah. that comes yeah. across as very believable because of the way that they portray sure. it. It doesn't. Sure. It doesn't come off as like a. You might have used this word like a caricature or like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. like an embellishment. It 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 feels. But very it grounded. very easily could be that way. Yeah. you know, um, because it's like a little bit of surrealism to it introduced. Yeah, right. With that version of the character, so uh, I hate that we all picked the same one, but um, it's yeah, a really I feel like we were going though. to. Yeah, um, Rachel Ho went with a film called Into the Forest, ooh, which I'm ooh, not before we get with. to audience picks. Yes, our missing host oh. is going to send in theirs. Kevin is going to submit uh, his pick. So uh, straight from Miami, 
Here's Kevin McCarthy. Take it away. Hey guys, it's Kevin. I'm on vacation this week uh, with Lauren and Lauren's dad, but I wanted to send in my pick for Elliot Page blend, and I was going through Elliot's filmography, and obviously there are so many films you can choose from. I think the obvious one would be Inception, and but I'm not going to pick Inception, but I do want to explain why I think uh, Elliot's amazing in Inception. The character is interesting because the entirety of the character is basically explaining the exposition of the story, right? So they explain to Elliot's character exactly what's going on with the Inception process, and we as the audience are as curious as Elliot's character, therefore we learn the process through Elliot. And to me, that's a, it's a good way to do exposition. I've always think, I always thought that Nolan did a really good job with exposition, so I do think that's probably my favorite when it comes to Elliot Page, but I'm gonna pick another one because I have another personal experience with this and it's called Hard Candy. Hard Candy to me was probably the first time I really understood how great of an actor Elliot Page is. Um, I remember going to this film with my buddy Tristan and two other friends. We were, I, I remember it very vividly actually. I remember we ate dinner at California Pizza Kitchen in Fairfax, Virginia. This is how, how much of an impact this movie had on me. And then we drove to Landmark East Street in Washington, D.C. to see Hard Candy. Apologies for any sound effects that are happening around me. I'm at a hotel in Miami. Um, but so when I sat down in that theater and watched it, I, I already knew the movie was going to be awesome, but I didn't know how shocking it was going to be. And Elliot Page's chemistry with Patrick Wilson in that film is incredible. Just the way those characters play off of each other. It's a very horrifying experience. Um, but I remember people getting up and leaving the theater during the movie because it was so shocking. And it was one of the first times I've ever seen that actually happen. I remember going to the usher afterwards and saying, hey, someone walked out of the movie. And they're like, yeah, it's been happening pretty much every single showing. Someone gets, someone gets up and walks out in one particular scene. And I just, I'll never forget that. All right, so the sound effects are getting worse behind me, of course, uh, with my luck, of course. But uh, yeah, but I'm going to go ahead and end this now. I appreciate you guys letting me send this in for Elliot Page blend and uh, one of the best actors working today and I'm genuinely interested to see what you guys pick. I, I, it's so funny because I think Inception would, would have been my go-to, but I, I think I really wanted to highlight Hard Candy. And I remember years ago, I told this in the show before, Patrick Wilson uh, gave me a fan question for Elliot Page and I remember getting a fan question from him at some junket and then Elliot Page came in studio for for a movie um, and I popped that fan question up and I remember Elliot Page freaking out and getting really excited about it so Hard Candy's kind of always been a big movie for me personally just in terms of when I saw it who I saw it with what the movie has meant in terms of like that experience in the theater and more so that's my pick for Elliot Page blend I miss and love you guys and uh, thank you for being such good friends to me. I really appreciate that. You guys know exactly what I mean when I say that. I don't need to go into those details, but I hope you guys know that I appreciate you guys. Sorry for all the long texts, um, but I really appreciate and love you guys very much. And uh, I'm so happy, happy and honored we get to do this show together. I really am. I hope you guys know I mean that. All right, I'll see you guys next week on the show. Miss you all and love you all. And I uh, can't wait to see your picks. See you guys. All right, let's do shift to audience picks. I mentioned that Rachel Ho uh, brought up a film called Into the Forest, which I'm not familiar with. Uh, Damien McDonald and Corey Chichizola, who I mentioned earlier, uh, went with Hard Candy. Many others did it, too. Uh, Ezra Cubero went with Super, and John Palmer and several others went with Juno. So uh, thank you for everybody who participated via Did anyone media. choose um, Umbrella Academy? Oh, Someone, yes. Yes. People did say Umbrella which I haven't seen, but everyone who sees it tells me I should watch it yeah. and that I'd like it. Is that it's a Netflix show? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Have you seen that, Jake? Uh, the first episode, and I remember liking it. It just—it was one of those things that something came up, and I wasn't able to keep going. It's the—it's um, the guy from the lead singer from My Chemical Romance, who—who's written a bunch of. 
oh. comics. I can't remember yeah, yeah, his name that. for some reason. I did not know that. Um, Gerard, yeah, he, he, uh, Gerard, Gerard Way. Thank you. you. Yeah, he. Um, I think like towards the tail end of the band, um, and then since then he's written a number of comics, graphic novels, um, mm-hmm. and that's one of his. And I've read. I haven't read this, but I read uh, was it the Killjoys. I think was what he wrote. Fantastic. He's a great storyteller. So that's awesome. Speaking of television shows, we are hate finishing uh, the flight attendant. I told you, dude. <laughs> You're still... I told you. We have I thought one you only had go. like one episode left. We had two, it turns out, and it, uh, so now we have one. We watched it last night, and, and you uh, you know it. Well, never mind. I paused it halfway through this last episode, and Michelle immediately as I paused it, just like I hate the show so much. That's <laughs> like, it's should we bail? Good. And she was like, No, we're not going to bail. We're going to finish it off. So, um, yeah. We're, we're one step closer. Okay, next week. Uh, reach out to us on Twitter for next week from Blend Game using hashtag Ian McKellen Blend. Uh, oh, you can let yes. us know your pick. I'm so email. curious to know Sean's pick. Well, I'll tell you what it's not. <laughs> uh, you can let us know your pick at realblend at cinemablend.com. Ooh, you know what? I think I might know what it is. Uh, at realblend at cinemablend.com. That is where you can also leave us a review. We do not have one for this week. So uh, make sure if you ever want to say really nice things about all of us that you do it sometime soon. We'll read it here on the show. Our next premium episode is going to be a this or that. That's a really fun game that we enjoy playing. Uh, the topic for it will be TD- TBD, but you can get access to all of our premium episodes by going to cinemablend.com backslash real blend premium. We'll be back next week with a conversation about how in the Heights does at the box office in the Heights. Kevin will be back with us again. Uh, you can follow us on social media until then at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach, and at Real Blood. And good Lord, at Real Blood. So many places where you can follow us. Uh, so we'll talk to you next week. Any final words for the, for the folks, guys? The Lost World. Oh, really? Yeah. I like that movie. It's pretty good. Um, I'll go with... Uh, the Adventures of Tintin. That's a good one. Um, Munich. Nice. Ooh, God, you just really brought it down. Yeah, I like I like picking his depressing ones. It's a good movie, though. King of the Crystal Skull. Oh, you brought it oh. down even worse. That's a different kind of depressing. <laughs> yeah.